Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back, thankfully, to yet another Bootleg Football Podcast. Uh, it has been a hell of a week. If you haven't been following me on Twitter, you know, EJ retweeting, anything like that, I was unfortunately one of the evacuees this week in the uh, Southern California brush fires that started up down here in Orange County. Uh, it was long week, very long week. I was texting back and forth with EJ. Um, Unfortunately, there were some homes damaged and destroyed in my neighborhood. Uh, my hearts go out to my neighbors that are now trying to pick up the pieces of their life. And I, I would also like to take a moment at the top of the show to thank all the firefighters that uh, saved my house, saved so many houses from, from people that live around me. Uh, it, it came within, you know, 20, 30 feet of, uh, of, of my neighbor's houses couple streets over. I, I just took kind of a, a tour around the neighborhood today. And I mean, every single hill <laughs> surrounding my neighborhood on all sides is is black right now. Um, you know, my, my sister-in-law's place, again, probably about 50 feet from the flames. They saved her place. Uh, my in-laws were evacuated even longer than I was. So they stayed with us for, for a day or two. They just went home before I started recording this episode. So uh, hell of a week in the, uh, in the Coleman family. And uh, I'm just I'm thankful that my house made it. Thankful that I'm back home now and can record a show with my good buddy EJ. Uh, I will say it's going to be a little bit of a shorter show because I am exhausted, as you can imagine. Uh, there was no film room episode this week on the channel either. I'm working on that one for next week. But a little bit of a shorter show this week. We're just going to recap some of our favorite games that I ended up actually getting to watch. Uh, we're going to go through the shot of the week. We're going to give our shot of the week nominees for next week. And then I'm going to go pass out. But uh, that being said, again, thank you to everybody who, uh, you know, sent well wishes for the house. Thankfully, we made it. And uh, that being said, EJ, how are you feeling this week and, and what are you drinking? Uh, I'm feeling all right. It's been a busy week for me and, and a stressful week, but not anywhere near what you were dealing with. And that was kind of what I bounced back to several times this week when it got hard or busy or rough was, uh you're in your house. You're fine. <laughs> and we went through uh, 
10 days earlier uh, this summer of heavy, heavy smoke, air quality over the 200 mark, which is in the extremely unhealthy category. We basically treated our house like a submarine for about 10 days when all the smoke from the California fires and the Oregon fires came up and basically sat on top of our house for almost 10 days. So I know the smell. uh, I know the feeling of being sort of isolated. We had some brush fires near to us at that time, not as near as what came to you. So definitely was feeling for you this week and, and putting all the positive thoughts I could out there. Very glad that we get to do this, that, you know, your house and your neighbor's houses are all good. So Um, I think we're both tired, but we get to talk about some football and, uh, to wash it all down, I brought a very big beer because it's a very big beer week. And (laughs) this is Kona Brewing's Big Wave Golden Ale, but it is the 19.2 ounce can. So we're just going to do the go big or go home thing. And then, uh, for my shot, I have an iced shot of Pendleton so we can celebrate, uh, last week's shot of the week results. Uh, what do you have? So uh, I guess I considered it, uh, you know, it's one of those weeks where as I was quickly packing up my house, keep in mind, we went from, you know, smoke behind my house to smoke filling the street in about 20 minutes. So I'm, you know, packing up the cats. I'm gathering all uh, as much of my work equipment as I could to like salvage my business in 20 minutes. We're loading up all these cars. Uh, I couldn't even find my shoes. So I'm just I'm driving out of the neighborhood you know, barefoot. Uh, and it was interesting when you're, you're kind of trying to figure out what you want to pack up and all of a sudden you, you get to your whiskey collection. You're like, oh God, what the hell am I supposed to save? I have too many bottles. I can't <laughs> grab them all. So I'm, I'm having the first bottle that I, I saved tonight. And that's my McAllen 18. It was the first one I grabbed and stuffed in my bag. I grabbed six bottles. McAllen 18 was the first one. Uh, and it's, it's exceptional. I mean, all McAllen's are exceptional, but the McAllen 18, uh, one of the best uh, sherry single malts that you can possibly get. I know a lot of people prefer the Arbolor. Uh, I, I can do either one. They're both great to me, uh, but I love the McAllen 18. And uh, that w- just also just considering the value of the bottle, like I can I can go get a Woodford anywhere, but it, it's a little bit harder to replace this thing. So I'm drinking that tonight uh, as a, I guess a little bit of a, thank you note to whoever's looking out for the house above for for saving it and uh my shot again because it's been that kind of a week i'm doing wild turkey 101 which i know a lot of people are saying brett why the hell are you doing uh that proofy of a whiskey for your shot and i'm saying because uh it was that kind of week so yeah because this week <laughs> because that reminds this week. me of the tweet you put out and said okay i haven't been able to watch the chicago game this was monday night uh, in the middle of all this craziness, explain it to me in three words or less. And I retweeted because Chicago <laughs> and that kind of summed it up. Not and that lie. was about it. Yeah. 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 The bears got beat up bad, but we are not going to talk about that game this week, but we have to get to last week's shot of the week results. And we had a runaway winner. I mean, Buda Baker, I kind of ex- expected he was going to win, but I didn't think he was going to win with like 95% of the boat. Uh, that being said, I think I think people are kind of understanding now just how damn good he is. He got what was like a sixty million dollar contract this past offseason. Everybody's like, "What? Why would you pay Buda Baker sixty million dollars?" And it's like, "Just wait, you'll see. They'll play in mm-hmm. prime time eventually, and he's gonna light somebody up." And of course, he had, you know he had the great week against Seattle. He's had weeks with back to back picks, but 
that sack that he had last week just bulldozing Andy Dalton. I mean, turning him into a fine pink mist. Uh, that was the shot of the week. So, Buddha, I'm saluting you. I'm grabbing my wild turkey to kick off the night. EJ, you ready to go? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I have Pendleton and not Wild Turkey because Wild Turkey doesn't treat me very well, but you're right. It's been that kind of week. So, Buddha, here you go. Uh, former Husky earning his money. Salut. <sighs> Woo. Yeah. Oh. Okie doke. Well, that'll get it right going. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. What were we supposed to talk about? Oh, yeah, football. We're, yeah, exactly. A <laughs> little, little mind eraser to get things going. No, uh, we're going to talk about three games that we thought were interesting. Um, we're not going to get to your team this week. It's not because we hate your team. I'm sure I do. That that's what will come up on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. I, I hate my Brett's team. like, no, no, I hate your team. No, we don't hate your team. Um, we just don't. We're not going to dig into everything. And we're going to pick three games uh, that were back and forth, all of them. They were good games. Uh, they had a lot of lead changes. They had, uh, a lot of good plays, um, some bad plays, and we're going to sort of build, uh, this is going to be sort of a crescendo thing. We're going to start with the one that was interesting, move to the one that was a little heartbreaking and then move to the one that was amazing. And we're going to start off with Browns Bengals and everybody's like, Oh, EJ, what are you doing Browns Bengals for? Because it was a really interesting game. Didn't start off great. Uh, both QBs traded picks early. Um, Mayfield and Burrow. Burrow scored on a sneak. Burrow reminds me a little bit of Tom Brady on the sneak. He is hyper competitive on the they sneak. They only he need a yard from, and he'll get three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He They were about a yard and three quarters out and he got into the end zone pretty easily. So uh, Burrow just has that. I think it brings up the question of whether Tom Brady is one of the best sneak quarterbacks ever because. Uh, he just runs that place so well. But Miles Garrett uh, announced his presence as we figured he might. Uh, the Bengals line we have maligned, I think, is a is a kind term all year. Uh, Garrett came up with a huge strip sack. Um, Jonah had a brutal rep on that. He's he's had a decent year. I don't want to throw him under the bus, but his rep against Garrett on the strip sack was horrendous. And Garrett just feasted on the line all day, which is not a surprise. If you've been watching the Bengals line all year um, and watching Miles Garrett all year, Miles has had a very good year. The Bengals line has not had a very good year. And uh, that continued. Sometimes it flips around for a day, but uh, not today. Uh, Miles Garrett had a very big day. Um, Browns were down some pretty serious talent to start off. They were without Teller, Hooper, and Beckham. Uh, that's that's a lot of talent to take away from an offense. Um, but as often happens, uh, other talent steps up. And one of the guys we really liked, um, we got to see him a lot in pre-draft prep, is Harrison Bryant. And he showed up for a couple of scores on the day, and everybody was like, who's this Harrison Bryant guy? And, you know, there was tight end depth that you could get this year. Harrison Bryant was one of those guys and had his first of what I think will be probably quite a few days where he makes an impact. Um, but then the game just started to go back and forth. And look, when Joe Burrow's protected, he's deadly. We've talked about this. You did a film room on him. Uh, squeezed a TD into Boyd just oh, before the half. Great throw. And beautiful throw. And at one point was just hot as fire, completed 11 in a row. 
man, when you give Burrow an inch, a little bit of protection, six inches of space, uh, two seconds in the pocket without having to worry about his head getting knocked off, he's just going to slay you. I mean, he's a serial killer. We, we, we've been saying it over and over and over again. He, it's almost like, uh, you know, that old Gail Sayers, God rest his soul quote, uh, you know, give me 18 inches of daylight. That's all I need. Just give him two and a half seconds. That's all he needs. And, and he yeah. will just kill you. He's so accurate. And I know, you know, people like the harp say he doesn't have a cannon for an arm. I, I get it. There's been a lot of quarterbacks that have had a lot of success without cannons for an arm. When you have poise, when you have pocket presence, when you have accuracy, when you have athleticism, you know, he checks every other box. And and again, just you give him a little bit of time where he's not getting lit up and he's going to be really damn good. I, I think I think they made the right choice at first overall. I, I understand Justin Herbert's looked amazing, um, but he but Burrow, at least to me, has so far proven to be worth that first overall pick. And again, if they just invest heavily in the offensive line and do everything they can to not Andrew Luck this situation, uh, I think Cincinnati's going to be in good hands for at least the next decade. Yeah, they've got some really decent offensive talent to get him going as well. They need a couple of more pieces, but Mixon's tremendous in the backfield. We've talked about that. And they've got some young pieces around him. They do need to protect him. That's not any surprise to anyone who's listened to the Bootleg Football Podcast. They, they need a right tackle so bad. They, they need... They need pretty much the entire offensive line except for left tackle. I'm I'm fine with giving Jonah some time to develop, and I think he's going to look a lot better when he doesn't have to try, try and do too much. You give any offensive lineman an assignment and a half, and they're not going to look very good. Uh, offensive line meshes has to work together, and when you're trying to do your job and half of the guy's job next to you because he's not doing it, you're you're going to end up giving up some really bad reps. And when Jonah's supported with some other decent linemen, I think he's going to look just fine. Is he going to be a world beater? Uh, I don't think so. But is he going to be completely serviceable? I think he is. Especially on zone blocking, because zone blocking is so much about communication and working together and timing and double teams and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I think when you pair him with like a really good zone blocking guard, we can see like what he was at Alabama, where he was a good left tackle. Or uh, I think he played left tackle at Alabama, right? Um, yeah, that's right. Because Wills was the Wills was the right tackle, and he was the left tackle. But you know, you pair him with a good guard, uh, where he doesn't have to to do everything by himself, especially on those zone blocking stuff that that Coach Taylor likes. And uh, you know, Williams I think can be a long term option there. Will he ever be an elite tackle? Probably not. But I think he can at least be solid. It's everybody else on the line that I think needs uh, needs replacement, especially Bobby Hart at right tackle. I still can't believe they signed that contract. Uh, what I did want to ask you, though, have you watched B.J. Finney much? Because uh, they just got him in the Carlos Dunlap trade. I'm not super familiar with him myself. Uh, I wouldn't... I've watched him a little, and I wouldn't be like, oh my god, B.J. Finney, awesome upgrade. Like, immediate starter. Like, you know, could he come in and play better with some reps, some live game reps? Again, offensive line, we just talked about it. He's not only got to learn their system, but he's also got to learn the guys on either side of him. Does he have some talent? He does is, again, uh, I saw Finney going over his compensation, and I was like, well, at least they're at least they're taking a shot, right? 
maybe he's better than what they've got because that's not that hard to do. And once he gets up to speed, it'll be interesting if he sees to sort of uh, see if he starts to build reps down the stretch um, as maybe a player that they could keep and be serviceable next year. Is he anyone that would keep me from, you know, <laughs> drafting a guard, trading for a guard, getting a guard off the UDFA scrap heap? Uh, none of the above. I would do all those things. I would be taking every swing I could to try and get guys in the building who could put up some protection in front of burrow because he's he's taking a thrashing but uh, i will say also on the subject of their offensive line uh billy price might be one of the biggest whiffs i've ever had because i loved him coming out of osu holy shit he's been bad <laughs> i yeah. mean I, I don't think he's ever been good in the nfl for as good as he was in college that yeah, one he I put didn't good see reps at osu i mean i i I probably wasn't as high on him by the sound of it as you are. We haven't talked about him specifically, but uh, I definitely thought that he was going to be serviceable. And um, right now, not very much looks serviceable on the Bengals' offensive line. I mean, what's the failure rate for first-round centers? It's got to be pretty low, right? Usually, if you're centered, you go to uh, first round. A lot round. lower than just about any other position in the first round, that's for sure. Yeah, I can't remember the last first-round center that was outright terrible. Uh if, I mean, it's rare to get a first-round center, period, but... Man, yeah. He just... He, uh, weirdly enough, their second-round pick, who was another guy that I had a high grade on, I had I had Jesse Bates as a first-round grade, their second-round pick ended up being probably the best player they've drafted in a while, uh, Sans Burrow, of course, because uh, Jesse Bates is having, like, an all-pro caliber year, but their first-round pick from that year, Billy Price, just can't even should not even start just because he's a liability. It's kind of kind of weird how the draft ends up that way sometimes. Yeah, sometimes your fourth-round pick ends up shining, and, you know, that's just the way it is. It's one of the things that makes it completely fascinating. But speaking of highly drafted players, on the other side, anybody that doesn't want David Njoku in trade, I saw a bunch of stuff. Uh, Njoku uh, asked for a trade. Um, Browns are, are pretty stocked at tight end. He'd like a new opportunity. Anybody that says that you don't want Njoku because he can't play needs to watch his TD to start the fourth quarter. Good route. Great catch. Um, A player who I would think is an asset as a move tight end on, I would say, probably half the rosters in the league. And we talked about how many, you know, really good tight ends there are in the league right now at at all the different tight end positions. And I still think Njoku makes a mark even in that crowded field. He's probably available for not a tremendous price. I would love to see him go to the Bears and be, uh, you know, the guy that eventually supplants Jimmy Graham. And by eventually, I mean as fast as humanly possible, um, except in the red zone, because Jimmy Graham is amazing in the red zone. But between the 20s, David and Joker would blow Jimmy Graham's doors off um, and could be a real value to not just the Bears, but a lot of teams. So. Just a reminder that situation has a lot to do with the player's success. And Joku, a, a high pick, first round pick, um, you know, crowded tight end room, and you know, lots of good players. We just talked about Harrison Bryant, uh, you know, fourth round guy coming in and, and getting a couple of touchdown catches. But Joku can still play, and he's a young guy. Um, you know, he he could use a new new scenery uh, just to show what he's got because very very talented player. And you know where he can go. Where's where can you go? Okay, who's who's already sustained an injury at tight end? Who uh, maybe could use well, another guy? Like they already have a couple, but they're all in Tampa? for this year. Yep. yep, yep. 
they're all in for this year. Like we like Gronk, we like Brate, uh, but if you're yeah. like, because at this point, Najoku just wants out, and Cleveland, you know, they've already got two other guys that are better, and yeah. obviously Harrison Bryant's the future there. They adore Harrison Bryant to the point where like when they got him in the fourth round, uh, like they. They couldn't believe it. <laughs> like they love Harrison Bryant. Well, so. I think a lot of people are going to join yeah. them in that camp of going. Wait, this guy was you know available in that draft in the fourth round. Yeah. I mean, you could you could get Njoku for a, like a conditional day three pick at this point, and just just get him off the books in Tampa just for depth's sake. You know, get a guy with talent. I I yeah. could see it. I could see it. I could see it. I'd rather have him on the Bears because, you know, get rid of Jimmy Graham's contract and, and have a move tight end that, that can play all over the field and really show some explosivity that's not uh, explosiveness. I guess explosivity is not really a word, but I just made it up. So there we go. We can put that one on the board for the day. It's 9.15 at night no. and we're drinking people, you know. It's true. Um, AJ Green had a rough start to the year. Didn't have a great year last year, obviously. Uh, big catch and run to move the sticks. And then Higgins scores on a big play minutes later, put the Bengals in the lead. And then, oh, oh, it happened. A DPJ sighting. Yep. Great ball. Great catch. Huge situation. Um, one of the best throws Baker's probably made so far in his career. Uh, just when you consider the, the situation, the context, um, you know, thrown to a guy who's getting his first like significant snaps because of injury to Odell. And, and we should tell people who DPJ is because we say DPJ like everybody knows, but if they didn't listen to all of our draft work, which is months and months ago, they might be going, uh, who? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Donovan Peoples Jones, highly talented, highly recruited, uh, receiver out of Michigan who, just when you look at his sheer physical talent, he's got like a 40-inch vert, runs 4-5 flat. I mean, super quick, super fluid, uh, just phenomenal physical skills. But they got him on day three, uh, supposedly because of some attitude issues at Michigan. Again, never did anything uh, like illegal, never you know did anything quote-unquote bad, I guess you could say. But uh, supposedly just because of, you know, he's a very high recruit, we've seen... 19, 18, 19 year old kids have when you when they're five stars and they can go anywhere in the country. They come in with a little bit of an ego. I guess he rubs some coaches the wrong way. And if you rub coaches the wrong way with attitude, guess what? They'll tell NFL teams, and then you end up dropping no matter how talented you are. Never mind the fact that he never kind of had the dominant production at, as a receiver at Michigan that you expected. But then when you look at his quarterback situation, kind of makes yeah, sense. I was going to say, talking about situation <laughs> influencing player outcome, like, he was a guy, DBJ was a guy that I put in my notes last year because in scouting the Michigan guys on offense last year, I was like, oh, hey, look at this guy. Like he flashes. He makes at least a couple big plays a game along the boundary, you know, going to be a guy to watch for next year again the production didn't go up but he had Shea Patterson throwing him the football uh and I put throwing in quotes um you know that definitely had attempting some to throw yeah uh but we both liked his physical talent thought again in a very very crowded 
historic wide receiver class that he was going to be available later, probably not as late as he went. We both thought he would go before that um, just based on talent alone. But that's the kind of thing that teams are going to pull diamonds out of the lower rounds at wide receiver out of this past year because there was just so much talent that guys like him that uh, were physically talented, highly recruited, um, productive, not crazy productive, not historically productive or conference leading production, but, you know, definitely showed that they had talent. And, you know, one of those guys that is going to be, you know, quote unquote, the typical phrase, a better pro than he was a collegian. And we both thought that about DPJ. Yeah, I had him as like my sixth or seventh overall wide receiver in this class, which is saying a lot considering this class, but it was mostly just because of his physical talent. And I felt if he ended up in a good situation with a good coaching staff that knew how to use him, how to mold him, which, I mean, call me crazy. I think Kevin Stefanski is a pretty good head coach. Uh, and I think he's going to end up doing some great things for Cleveland. I think this is a good destination for him. Uh, it's unfortunate what happened to Odell because, again, he's just chasing down an interception on a really bad ball from Baker. I didn't even get to that. Uh, left it inside on a go ball against single high, something you never, ever, ever want to do. Got picked off. Again, just just purely a bad pass. Uh, and then Odell chased it down from behind, ended up tearing his ACL in the process. Um, you know, this DPJ pick, again, just considering his raw talent, is is something that might help soften the blow a little bit for losing Odell. And don't get me wrong, he's not going to replace Odell. Very few guys, I think, can. Um, but I think if, if you got Jarvis as a number one, you're doing okay. If you got... Hooper and Brian is your top two tight ends and those two running backs, assuming Chubb comes back pretty soon. Uh, you know, if DPJ is like the sixth or seventh option you've got in terms of playmakers, you're doing fine. Like this offense is going to be fine. Teller's going to be back. He's one of the best guards in football. Overall, the offensive line is great. Baker, I think he hasn't been spectacular, but I think at times he's shown he can at least be solid or at worst competent. Um, and again, as long as he's not throwing these game starting picks on the opening drive, like he's made a habit of, I think Cleveland can be fine. You, you run the ball, you throw a play action, you get some creative screens going, which Stefanski's shown some creativity with there in misdirection and stuff like that. Like this offense could work even without Odell. And if DPJ is starting, there's worse rookies, I think, um, there's worse situations to have in terms of having a rookie having to step up than DPJ. Again, just because of his natural talent. I th I think this can work. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're, again, like you said, if he's your fifth or sixth or seventh option, you're doing really well to have a young, talented wideout um, who is learning how to play the game, picking up the nuances from those veteran guys and, uh, you know, able to come in and make plays even at this point. And again, he's going to get some more reps down the stretch because folks ahead of him have gone down and that's not a bad thing. It could pay big dividends uh, for them moving forward, but the Browns march right back down. They strike a little leak to Kareem hunt. He goes in fairly easily and burrow just ice in his veins, undaunted, marches Cincinnati right back down the field and throws a TD to Gio Bernard. He's so cool under pressure. It shouldn't be legal. He just has unbelievable poise for a rookie. And, you know, we saw that at LSU, that ice in his veins, that the situation never being too big for him, didn't matter what game it was. 
And sometimes you wonder if that's going to translate to the pros because everything gets bigger, everything gets faster, everything gets more complicated, the season's longer, all of those things. Burrow hasn't blinked. Like, mm-hmm. there, there's been no hiccup, no bump, you know, no needle scratching on the record. Burrow is just like, I'm doing the same thing. I'm playing football. I don't care that they scored. Give me the ball. I'm going to go score. And he did. And, you know, sometimes you forget that he's seven games into this because he looks like he's seven years into this. And that's what sets Burrow apart. You know, for for a long time, it's always been Baltimore and Pittsburgh is like the game in the AFC North you want to watch. And this week, again, it's still the game everybody wants to watch because the Steelers are awesome. The Ravens are great. It's going to be a fantastic game. After Ben retires, Burrow versus Lamar, that's going to be the game. That that is going to be the AFC North game. Just as because, long as they get him a line, because the Ravens yes, are never yes. short on pass rushers. And again, you gotta give him a little time. He is I'll call him superhuman in terms of his ability to make those plays with any little bit of space, but you do have to provide the little bit of space. So assuming they get a line, I'm with you. That's gonna be that's going to be great. And look, if Stefanski can can bring the Browns to you know competence, if not prominence, with all the talent because they have an incredibly loaded roster, you know there's some balance in that division again. And it and you know the Steelers aren't going to be bad. They're going to have to find their trigger man, but you know they've got a ton of depth as well. So it's going to be a very good division, and that's just good for football and good for football fans. But Mayfield, speaking of, was undaunted. Strikes back to who? DPJ to score with 11 seconds left. This was just two, I don't want to say heavyweights, uh, two (laughs) newly minted fighters just trading blows back and forth at the end of the game. It was tremendously exciting. And, you know, Burrow wasn't done. Bengals just missed a Hail Mary at the end to win it. That's a great game. Now, people look at the, you know, they might look at the headline and say, Browns, Bengals, eh, you know. It was a great football game. It was back and forth. It was evenly matched. Yeah, there were mistakes, but there was a ton of great plays. There was, you know, good performances, gutty and clutch performances from both quarterbacks down the stretch. Um, You know, if you want more as a football fan, uh, I don't know what to tell you. It was a good, solid football game. It was fun. I know that the Bengals, let's see, what are they? Own two, oh, two, one. I'm kind of going through the schedule right now. So one, two, and one, one, three, and one, one, four, and one, one, four. So what? They're one, five, and one right now. Mm-hmm. When you look at their losses, week one, lost by three to the Chargers. Week two, lost by five to the Browns. Tied the Eagles in week three. Uh, lost, or they beat the Jaguars in week four. Got blown out by the Ravens because they're the Ravens uh, after that. Lost by four to the Colts, lost by three to the Browns again. Most of their losses, other than, you know, running into the buzzsaw that is the Baltimore Ravens, they're three to five points at most, you know? Like, they're not losing by a lot. They're very, very close. I'm talking like one or two plays a game from being well above 500 right now. And you know what I love about that is that A, Burrow's a rookie, B, the line is terrible in front of him, and they're that close. And you know what I know about Joe Burrow? Never talked to the guy in my life. May not ever. He's pissed. Oh, yeah. He hates losing. 
He's hates it. pissed, and I mean like angry every night pissed that they've missed by that much. He doesn't care he's a rookie. He doesn't care that the line sucks. He doesn't care that their talent's nowhere near the Ravens. He's pissed, and I love that, and it just bodes so well for fans in Cincinnati going forward. Yeah, like the, I, I know, you know, they're going to run into the Titans this week. That's that's a rough game. Not gonna that's going to be a game. rough rough out. And, if they and win, then they that, got the Steelers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if they win one of those two, honestly, because those two teams just went at each other this last week. But like, if they if they come out with a win, and I'm not saying they're gonna, they're certainly not going to be favored in either game. But if they came out with a win from either one of those games. There's gonna be a little brighter light shining on Cincinnati yeah. for sure. The, the the thing is, you just you gotta get Burrow healthy for the next three weeks because the Titans, you know, with Simmons who just he's a nightmare, uh, and then the Steelers, best pass rush in the league, and then you got Washington, one of the best pass rushes in the league the week after that. Uh, so Washington's line is a threshing machine yeah. right now. It's so ugly. We knew they would be, and it's so much fun. So he's Not gonna get him, mulched. He's going to get yeah. absolutely mulched uh, in the next <laughs> yeah. three weeks. And I just want him to survive because then, you know, last week in November, you get the Giants, you get the Dolphins for hopefully a matchup with Tua, which I think can be a really fun game. You get the Cowboys, Super who fun. they can't stop a nosebleed. Like, you get three, well, the Dolphins are a really good team, but you get three at least theoretically winnable games, you know, to kind yeah. of build some momentum until he gets his ass kicked against the Steelers again. And then you get the Texans. So again, you know, build maybe some positive momentum. <laughs> you know, the back half of the schedule isn't bad. No, against the Giants, you should you should get healthy. I, I you know, I would take Burrow uh, most days of the week and twice on Sunday against against the Giants right now. So um, it'll be fun. It'll be interesting to see again if they're one of those teams that builds some momentum in the back half of the schedule, really, again, leading towards next year. We know the Bengals aren't going to the playoffs. We know they're not going to make any noise this year. What can they do? What can they get in place? What can they establish as a sort of identity going forward? And then what pieces can they add in the offseason, both through free agency and the draft, to really you know get Burrow some protection but also fill in some of those holes that are still there Uh, on both sides of the ball and you know they just traded a pass rusher this week so they picked up another pick Uh, they picked up an offensive lineman as you said Um, you know maybe that works out for them Um, it's just interesting to see from a team building perspective what they can surround him with because he's the real deal like like you said hasn't had a ton of support and they've lost most of their games by a handful of points three four five points these are these are not blowout losses he's He's literally kept them in by hanging on with his fingernails. And if they get him just a little more talent, a little bit of stability, he's going to start reeling off wins for them. 100%. Now, with that being said, I do want to thank our sponsor for this week, Manscaped, the best brand in men's grooming today. You've probably seen them exploding all over the place the last couple of years for their body trimmers and soaps and colognes and everything like that. I've worked with them myself personally for a long time because they make great stuff and I love using it. And now in keeping with that tradition of quality, Manscaped has released their newest product, the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer. And EJ, uh, not to get too personal, but I can speak from experience, uh, not with ear hair, but I do get very fast growing nose hair. Thank you to my father for giving me that. Uh, And it bugs the hell out of me. It's itchy makes me sneeze all the time. I just, I I hate it. And my wife hates it too, by the way. 
And for a long time, just because I didn't have a dedicated trimmer, uh, I would do what my wife told me to because she gets her eyebrows plucked and she's like, well, why don't you just pluck your nose hair? Which if you've never Uh. done that at home, yeah, I hear your reaction. Hurts like a bitch. Uh, So plucking nose hair, not recommended. Trimming it with the weed whacker, highly recommended. Doesn't hurt at all. It's got a 9,000 RPM motor. 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. Of course, it has Manscaped's proprietary skin-safe technology as well to help prevent nicks and snags and tugs. You know, the Weed Whacker can also come with the full Manscaped performance package, if you so choose, which includes the Lawnmower 3.0, which is the best body trimmer on the market, as well as their Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and their Crop Reviver Ball Toner. Plus, the performance package also comes with two free gifts, which are a pair of Manscaped boxers and their Shed Travel Bag to carry the whole package with you anywhere you go. It's a great trimmer. Uh, I, I, I cannot speak highly enough of how much my life has improved not having to pluck my nose hair because it just, it, it hurts so damn much. <laughs> I can't stress enough how much it hurts. And for those of you that don't get nose hair, uh, just consider yourself lucky. Congratulations on winning the genetic lottery. Uh, but yeah, th- this truly is the best package that Manscaped has to offer. If you want to try it out for yourself, you can get a 20% discount and free shipping at manscaped.com with promo code bootleg. Again, that is a 20% discount and free shipping with promo code bootleg at manscaped.com. And uh, with that, speaking about something painful, plucking nose hair, why don't we talk about something equally painful, and that's the 2020 Atlanta Falcons. Uh, I I know they just beat the Panthers this uh, this week. We, we just watched that game together, uh, at least the end of that game together before we recorded this episode. But the week before that, <laughs> Again, it seems like every single week, except this one, it's like 98% win probability, final minutes of the game, how are they going to blow it? And they they managed to blow it. It's so vicious. I My heart goes out to you, Atlanta fans. Uh, being a sports fan can be hard. Brett's a Texans fan, he understands. I'm a Bears fan. They got their ass kicked this week. It can be really rough. For Atlanta, it's been historically rough they have had a 98 percent win probability going into the last roughly six minutes or less of three of their games this year and lost all of them in just heart tearing fashion if you go back to like the indiana jones series this is mola rom reaching into somebody's chest and tearing their heart out yeah that's atlanta (laughs) to their fans this year they just find the most painful ways to lose so we'll start at the top. The Swift era has the DeYounder Swift era has been established. Uh, mm-hmm. He ran well again this week. He had a breakout week last week. He's the primary back there now. It's not Carry On Johnson. Um, you know, it's not the Hall of Famer they've got in the running back room. Uh, DeAndre Swift is is going to be the guy, and rightfully so. Going forward, they're starting to see uh, the benefits of why they picked him up high. Um, I want to take a second to talk about uniforms because uh, new uniforms have have been spotted in your area as well as the New York metropolitan area. Um, And the Falcons got new uniforms as well. And and I have to say, when both the Jets and the Rams released their uniforms online in these big uniform release events that teams do now, I thought, "Eh." (laughs) <laughs> I, I didn't think either one looked great. I, I definitely I was had issue skeptical with the Rams. of the the bone ones for the Rams. Those are the ones I was yeah. kind of eh. and I I you know I have issue with the Rams logo. That's the fact. But I gotta say that 
under the lights in action on athletes, both the Rams uniforms and the Jets uniforms actually look better than I gave them credit for. Like, I I think they look good. Atlanta, for the most part, had kind of uh, some subtle upgrades. They went with, you know, a silver face mask on some of their uniforms, and uh, they changed their typeface on the letters a little bit, and they changed their color combination just a little bit, but generally they were kind of minor upgrades, except for the ones they wore against the Lions, which were these... Uh, how do I say that? I can't the say soccer it. jerseys. <laughs> I can't say this nicely. Um, they're this horrendous black red fade. And I can't think of a fade uniform that's ever looked good. I'm thinking like the Jags helmet, which was a terrible I know. idea. I was going to say Jacksonville fade. already tried this and it was awful. Yeah. So in general, like Jets and Rams, Hey, you did better than I thought you did. And, and quite frankly, the, the Rams uniforms under the lights. So far, they look really good. That sort of electric blue and yellow, like a lot of nice little touches on those uniforms, but the Falcons fade unis, um, they need to go to the burn pile right now. They need to be mm-hmm. retired. They're, they're horrendous. The other unis are fine. Um, the ones they wore tonight on Thursday night football. Again, those are sharp looking uniforms. Those fade unis. Yeah. Let's, let's get rid of those. But now back to our regularly scheduled program, Calvin Ridley, um, who unfortunately got himself an ankle injury tonight, uh, had a crazy good adjustment on a catch right before the half in the game against the lions. Um, that led to a Ridley T moments later. So he basically made his own bed and then went and laid in it. That was great. Stafford slings one to Galladay after that, and they grab a field goal before the break. We need to talk about what Kenny Galladay did in this game. We've already highlighted Kenny Galladay on the podcast and the difference he makes in the Lions offense. He brings that Mm-hmm. vertical down the field threat we've compared him to julio jones a guy that he played against in this game kenny galladay had six catches in this game you could make arguments that all of them were huge but four of them were just pure insanity him skying over guys getting jacked in the back and coming down with the ball you know landing on his head he just had four sort of oh my God, catches in this game. And it powered the Lions to a very close win. But Kenny Galladay, if people haven't realized, is right up there as one of the best receivers in the league. And people are going to give me some garbage about that. You need to go back and watch this game in particular. But actually the last three or four weeks since he came back healthy, Kenny Galladay is lighting it up this year. There was uh, one of the catches you referenced where he got absolutely nailed in the back. It was uh, at the beginning of the third quarter in the Lions' first possession. They were down by four at the time. Third and 11. You know, Matt's got nothing, but protection's there. So Galladay just takes off down the field because he's like, well, uh, I'm not getting anything on the curl, so I'm just going to turn up field. Matt sees it, throws it really high, just, you know, going back to his old Megatron days, just give him a chance. Free safety comes over, and I mean, just freaking detonates Kenny. I mean, way high up in the air. and, and Hospital you know, ball. Yeah, hospital ball. Which is the thing where, like, you know, if, if you get your, your lower half taken out from under you while you're jumping in the air, guess what? You're coming down on your head. And, and Kenny came down right on, on his neck and just popped up and said, all right, I got it. We're good. Like, it probably hurt like hell, but you could tell he's like, hold it in, Kenny. Hold it in. Hold it in. And they were all <laughs> like that. Like, he made all these ridiculous ridiculous grabs like every time he put his hands on the ball it was like oh my god it just unbelievable catches and without those catches look the lions don't win this game pure and simple like it's a team game i get it but 
they were all big, all six of them. And four of them were just like, hold your breath. Oh my God, I can't believe he did that. And look, that's one of the reasons we watch football is for those insane athletic moments that some of the best athletes on the planet put on for us every Sunday and they're all over the place. And when one guy has that many of them in one week, you really just got to kind of stand up and salute him and say, hey, Kenny Galladay, look, you you play for a division rival of the team I'm a fan for. I don't care. You are immensely talented and laying it out for your team. And it made all the difference this week. He's one of those guys where it's like, if you swap, if him and Cortland Sutton swap jerseys, I literally wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Like they're, they're both. Just yeah. And right now, so good. I mean, I, you know, I love Cortland. Like, Oh, Cortland course. is, uh, Cortland was my wide receiver one the year he came out. I've been a fan since uh, a couple of years before he came out at SMU. I was watching, uh, the, the way I found Cortland Sutton was I was watching because his quarterback declared for the supplemental draft. And I was like, all right, I guess I got to go watch some film of this SMU quarterback. And there was this huge dude catching balls. And I was like, who the hell is this? And so I looked him up, roster number, SMU, wide receiver, blah, blah. And I was like, holy shit, that guy's a freshman. Like, that guy's massive. Like, what in the world? And, you know, watched him for another two seasons. He comes out of SMU, high pick in the draft, goes to the the Broncos. But right now, I got to say... I love Cortland Sutton. He's amazing. All best wishes for a speedy recovery. But Kenny Galladay is at an incredibly high level. I mean, he's playing like a top 10 wide receiver in this league. And there's so many talented wide receivers. I mean, we saw what uh, we're going to talk about wide receivers in the next game. We're going to talk about we talked about wide receivers in the previous game. There's just so many talented wide receivers in the league, but Kenny Galladay is really separating himself. He's been making a huge difference for a team that, look, isn't making a ton of noise, but Galladay's not slowing down at all. He's out there making incredible plays every week, and it's just it's setting him apart. He came in. He was obviously very talented. He had some good production. He opened some eyes, but this is a whole nother level for this guy. Yeah, he's just he's he's the straw that stirs the drink, so to speak. There's very few offenses in the league that I think like they lose a significant amount of potential right. when their receiver goes out. Yeah, no, they depend on him. And when yeah. he's not there and he wasn't there for the first couple of weeks, like it's just a totally different offense for the Lions when he's in there. It's a different team, period. Yes. Different team, period, because he he sustains drives, uh, which keeps the defense off the field. Defense doesn't get as gassed, and the defense is playing better now because, again, they got Kenny Galladay converting third and 11s, you know, just with sheer yeah, highly amazing improbable talent. third and 11s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, keeps them off the field. They get a blow. Um you know, mentioning the the defense, you put a note in here about the about Patricia dropping flowers in coverage to get a breakup. You know, it, it when the Lions are able to keep games close through offense, it allows Patricia to be a little bit more creative defensively in terms of blitz packages and you know coverage rotations and all that kind of stuff. Uh, because I don't particularly think they have a great run defense, but if they can if they can actually keep an offense from just running the ball down their throat by having a competent offense themselves. That's where I think Patricia, I I think can be really in his element uh, defensively. And again, I'm not saying the Lions have a great defense. No, you know, they just need a little spark. 
Yeah, this is a complete homage to Bill Belichick, obviously his mentor. He takes his defensive end, drops him in the flat coverage, uh, basically kind of hooks him and disguises him on the inside. He comes out to the outside, breaks up a pass, and you're thinking, it's the same thing that Pagano does with like Ch- with Khalil Mack, right? You're like, what is he dropping Khalil Mack in coverage for? And then he goes over and you know busts up the screen, and you're like, oh, okay, it was a good play. It works. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then Dante Fowler on the other side, who had a very dirty kick of Teddy Bridgewater's knee tonight right before we started recording this, so I've got a little bad taste in my mouth about Dante Fowler. He had a big TFL um, that he got blocked into, but he made a great play to finish. Fowler uh, certainly has raised his stock uh, in the league, I think, over the last couple of years. Um, And then we need to talk about Russell Gage, too, because Russell Gage is not the receiver we end up talking about on that team. Crazy one-handed catch over the middle. Um, You know, we're just going to throw that in there. And then the play we really need to talk about, and this got a lot worse today because uh, the video came out of Matt Ryan in the huddle right before this play going, look, don't score. (laughs) Get the first down. But don't score. Get the first down and get down. Everybody's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then Todd Gurley gets through. He gets a defender on him. And I don't. I honestly don't blame him for this. Because as a running back, all you do from the time you're little is all those little bust-through drills, right? Cover up the ball drills. Run through the tackling bar machines. Like, as soon as you feel contact, you're trying to shuff it off. And they gave him a little bit of soft contact and kind of rope it doped him and then let him go. And he wasn't able to make that sort of 90-degree cut. And he fell into the end zone. And you can see Matt Ryan on this video kind of smack his helmet. Like, I told you. <laughs> don't do that like i told you we had one job right this is the classic you had one job and it's a tremendous tactical error and you could say that you know it ends up costing atlanta the game yeah and i i i truly believe he was leaning into a fender uh into the defender and just expected to be tackled and mm-hmm. I just think he he lost because his head was down. He's driving. I think he just lost track of where he was in the field. And I think he expected to be tackled. So he wasn't worried about it. And then all of a sudden, you know, the defender kind of just lets him go. Let's him go. <laughs> and he's like, oh, shit, I'm on the one yard line. I thought yeah, I was and he tackled, can't but, turn. But, it, you know, it, you know, before that, it's like, he, hey, he might not have, you know, he might not have been aware because everybody was getting on his awareness and his game situational awareness and, and all that. But it, like literally the video comes out of because Ryan's mic'd up and he's in the huddle. He looks at everybody, including Gurley, and says, don't score get the first and get down. Everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, directly before that play. And it's like, oh, you got to know. But again, I don't blame Gurley tremendously because that's the only instinct you have as a running back, right? Is break that arm tackle, get to the line. That's your entire life is break the plane, right? And then all of a sudden, don't break the plane. And you're like, what? (laughs) He just couldn't pull it up. And my favorite bit was the Lions defenders like Jamie Collins patting him on the shoulder and the other guy oh, you know, pointing, yeah. pointing to the ref and saying, look, he's through, he's through, he's off. Yeah, you no, know. they rope doped him hard because they oh. did. They made contact, so he'd do that. And then he just draped off and let him go. And they hoped that he would carry through, and he did. And um, it's just, oh, man, it's a gut punch. We, we have to give Matt Stafford credit through darts all day and, you know, leads the lines back with no time and they win the game they steal one from atlanta and 
Matt threw the ball really well all day. Matt is a great thrower of the football, always has been. Um, kept gunning, didn't give up, and you know the Lions come away with probably a victory they shouldn't have had. But Atlanta just keeps finding, uh, I'll just call it creative ways to lose. And it's, oh, it's heartbreaking for the ATL fans. I mean, tonight on that, what was it, third and 17 with DJ Moore converted? <laughs> Everybody's just like, oh, God, here we go again. Yeah, we're watching you know. the game right before we record this. And I, you know, Brett didn't have it on quite yet. He's catching up. He's trying to get the feed up. And I was like, oh, it's third and 17. There's like a minute and 45 left. They're not, you know, Panthers aren't making this. And Teddy throws a rainbow to DJ Moore, who goes up between three defenders and sort of catches a weird down the numbers, almost back shoulder throw. And I was like, well, they're alive. And, you know, everybody in Atlanta's heart is in their mouth because they're just like, no, 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 don't do it. Because that's, you know, it reminds me of Cubs fans, right? To give a baseball reference before they won the World Series, right? Cubs fans were just resigned to, hey, they're going to find an interesting way to pitch the lead late. We're never going to do it. And Atlanta fans are starting to develop that reflex of anything is possible for the other team because we've already seen it three times this year. Um, Not a good way to be as a fan. Um, So my heart goes out to the Atlanta fans. Good win for the Lions. They put it together. And big ups to both Matt Stafford and Kenny Galladay. Um, Obviously a team effort, but those guys really stood out in the win over Atlanta. Uh, and by the way, uh, you know who they, you know who the Lions play this week. Dum, dum, dum. It's the Colts who have a fantastic defense, especially on defensive line, and they're going up against, in my opinion, a really good Lions offensive line with an emerging star. Again, we've mentioned him on the show before, but you you gotta keep an eye on uh, rookie right guard Jonah Jackson, who was one of EJ's favorites coming out in this class. He's been one of, if not the best, pass-protecting rookie guard in the entire league. And then Taylor Decker's also had a good year. You know, Ragnow's Ragnow. Uh, Tyrell Crosby, who's, I didn't see this one coming, uh, is actually having a pretty good year at right tackle. Uh, like, overall, this offensive line is performing very, very, very well, especially in terms of pass blocking. And again, when we talked about that third and 11 for Galladay, like Stafford had all day to throw on that third and 11 because his offensive line is so good at pass blocking. Uh, and so they're going up against Grover Stewart, DeForest Buckner. Uh, I think Justin Houston's healthy for this game. And I, um, I think Darius Leonard might be back. I can't remember. But this is a really, really, really good Colts front seven, one of the best in the entire league. Uh, and so I think if you just want to see pure trench warfare this week, watch the Lions offensive line and the Colts defensive line go at it because this is going to be a hell of a matchup. Yeah, I think the Lions are, I don't want to say underrated talent-wise, but they, they do have units that are incredibly strong. And Stafford's going to keep you in any game if you can keep him upright because he is a guy that has a tremendous arm. Uh, he's a veteran guy. He does not make a ton of terrible mistakes. A la veteran guys like Kirk cousins in the same division, right? He tends to be smarter with the football. And as long as you can keep him upright and he's got a guy like Galladay that he can go to down the field that could actually get him some chunk plays. 
he's dangerous. He can win you games. So uh, it'd be really interesting to see, uh, you know, there's so many games that have interesting matchups, but that's a really good one. Yeah, 100%. Now, moving on to our final game of the week, which I think everybody at this point can agree was the best game of the week and maybe the best game all season. Can we just like make it a rule that every single Seahawks Cardinals game is played in primetime. I know the next one's going to be in primetime too. That's a Thursday nighter on November 19th, if I remember correctly. So we're getting one more Seahawks Cardinals game in primetime, but every year going forward, as long as Russell and Kyler are the starting quarterbacks, I want this matchup in primetime twice a season because my God, EJ, are these two teams entertaining? They, no shortage. So I didn't watch this game live. Uh, I was doing other things, but obviously I live in the Pacific Northwest. I have a ton of fans, uh, Seahawks fans that are friends, colleagues, whatever. So I got multiple texts. I kind of watched this game via text and Twitter, um, which I <laughs> end up doing sometime. But yeah, I'm with you. Uh, the Seahawks can't do anything regularly. Uh, I'm I'm well aware of the Seahawks fan base and, you know, the, the meme is out there. You know, why can't you just be normal? Seahawks fans, you know, Seahawks in the backseat, screams. You know, they they can't. They they just physically can't. It's the cardiac Seahawks. It's the, you know, the fourth quarter. Why did you, um, you know, Russell made that harder than he needed to. And, and it's just, it's an interesting fan base to hang out with. We're good friends with Danny Kelly. Um you know, obviously a hardcore Seahawks supporter. Uh, Mina Kimes is a Seahawks supporter. You just see all these uh, high-profile followers of the Hawks, and it's incredibly entertaining to watch them follow the histronics of other fans and, and just the roller coaster that happens on the field. But, um, you know, Kyler's developing a little bit of that himself, his ability to, he and Cliff to sort of pull things out of a hat and Kyler's ability to scramble, which we'll talk about. But, Lockett, uh, we'll just talk about Russell Wilson to, to Tyler Lockett. They open the game with a nutty one-hander, and we're kind of off to the races. You have a really good idea at that point. This is going to be not a normal game, but that connection between Wilson and Lockett is just preternatural at this point. It's mm-hmm. almost like telekinesis. They're just willing the ball to each other, and they can complete anything no matter how improbable the throw arc is or how small the area they have on the sideline or the back of the end zone you just always expect them to come up with the miraculous catch and most times they do an easy td to lock it opens the scoring basically a little whip route if you include the pre-snap motion which is a really nice piece by shoddy by the way um sick little cut to buckle his defender on that so he basically motions to the inside guns upfield for about three yards makes a very nice snap cut to the outside ends up forcing his defender to quote-unquote step in the bucket and he's wide open um easy easy play so looks like the hawks are going to start rolling up points at that point um you're thinking okay the the russell to you know Tyler thing is is on point for this week as it, as it always is and and what's going to happen now and Murray comes back and I want to talk about this because Murray comes back to Hopkins for the TD and literally you called this exact throw and route when the trade was made perfect match yep like you said when Hopkins goes to the Cardinals you know Murray throws Throws the fade down the sideline, right? Mm -hmm. And that's 
that's Murray's favorite throw and Hopkins' favorite route, and this is going to be the thing that makes this marriage work. And damned if it didn't happen in this game, like, to script. Hopkins is the best fade receiver in the league. It's kind of an art form because to make a fade work, especially with a quarterback like Kyler, just from a, a technical perspective, it's about leverage, it's about positioning, it's about timing. Like, you know, Hopkins runs, was like, 4 five, 5 Like, he's not like a, a super speedy guy. Um, but corners will play trail technique and kind of let him get over the top of them because they're so afraid of stacking on top of him and then him just winning back shoulder, which he's really, really good at. And so they'll play trailer, play trail technique and say, okay, I dare you to run away from me. And that's a good way to do it because it kind of limits the window that a quarterback can drop the ball into because if you're playing trail technique and also kind of forcing him into the sideline a little bit, almost like a hip-to-hip type thing, you know, you can really limit the window that a quarterback can drop the ball into right on the sideline and over the top. Like it's a it's a very hard window to hit, and trajectory is a big part of it. Like you got to put enough air on it so that it drops in vertically into the window. Uh, like you can't throw it on a line, or else the corner could just put his hand up. And the thing is, Kyler is phenomenal at placing those fades upfield when he sees stack or when he sees trail technique he can place it upfield but then drop it in they call it on air you know throwing it with throwing it with a lot of air on the ball to give it that almost vertical trajectory to the point where the corner can't just put his hand up to stop it it goes over him and then drops vertically into the receiver it's an extremely hard throw to make like it's not just you know throwing a fade like throwing a fade with proper trajectories very, very difficult. And so then corners try to stack on him to take away that, that uh, you know, upfield fade. And then all of a sudden, Kyler reads it and throws it back shoulder. And obviously, DeAndre can adjust to a back shoulder fade better than almost anybody else in the league. Like, it is a perfect marriage of a, of a great fade thrower and a great fade receiver. And they just understand each other so well already, despite only playing, what is it, seven games together now. Uh, like we're already seeing them connect on this route in huge moments. And we're going to continue to see that every single week for a long, long time. Yeah. I wanted to call it out because I remembered that particular conversation when the Hopkins trade happened, which was incredibly painful for you and rightfully so, but you still were able to call that. And I thought as I saw that in, in live action or, you know, directly on the highlight afterward, because I, again, wasn't watching the game. I was like, holy shit, that's exactly the route combination we talked about. Um, So the Hawks force a fumble, march down, they're about to score, and then we need to talk about this play because our bootleg shot of the week winner, Buda Baker, makes a pick, and it looks like a clear pick six. He picks it with momentum, he is down the sideline, his feet are inbounds, and this is happening, right? Except... You know, insert Jaws music here, DK Metcalf. That dude, he runs like a Terminator. You know, just the the, the straight up and down, the high knees. I mean, he he looks like a, an angel of death flying down the field. <laughs> I swear to God, if DK Metcalf played safety, it would be the most terrifying thing I have ever seen in my life. Uh, because somebody that big should not be able to move that fast like physics dictates 
that something should not be able to move that fast with that kind of bulk to it. And I, I don't know if anybody here uh, has NFL Game Pass. And, like, we've seen the close-up angle of DK taking off and running and everything like that. When you watch the end zone angle on the All-22 of that pick where you can see Buddha and DK at the same time together for the entire play and how far back DK was and then just how he opens up, like, 10 yards into his stride and Buddha doesn't see him coming till the end. I mean, like you said, it's like Jaws. Like, you're just watching this predator like a cheetah on the Serengeti chasing down a gazelle. It's breathtaking how and fast nobody he thinks is. it's going to happen. Like, at the moment <laughs> that it occurs, everybody, I was going to say everybody in the stadium. There's nobody in the stadium. Everybody watching on TV is thinking, oh, he's gone. Like, there's yeah. nobody, his sideline's clear, forget it. Nobody's thinking anybody's going to chase Buda Baker down from behind. That play is going to be on DK Metcalf's highlights when he retires, if he goes to the Hall of Fame, any postseason honors, Ring of Honor, whatever. Like, you're going to see that play. And it's not a play where he was even targeted. <laughs> like, he made a tremendous play. It's one of the greatest hustle plays ever. Oh, all time. Like, that, that's up there with Ben Watson, Larry Allen. I mean, in the fact that, A, he stopped them what was like six yards short of the end zone, and then yep. they, they stopped them from scoring, period. He took seven points off the board. I I fully agree. Like, I, <laughs> like that game doesn't know, go to overtime without that play. No, it's, it's a crazy play. And with that play alone, that would have been worth the price of admission, right? That would have been like, oh, my God, did you see that play? Everybody would have been talking about it, quote, unquote, around the water cooler. I realize we're not all around the water cooler anymore. Um, that would have been the play that people were like, did you see that? Right. We were just getting started, folks. <laughs> like We weren't even into the good stuff yet. So I'm going to drop an old school reference for our older podcast listeners. Russell Wilson doing his best Turner Gill impression on the option run keeper. 33-yard gain. Jeez, EJ, who's Turner Gill? Look it up, youngins. Um, a fantastic quarterback at Nebraska who is one of the best runners of the football in college in a very long time. And yes, I realize it's a very long time ago and I'm dating myself, but I had to throw the Turner Gill reference. It was 90s, right? Early 90s? Yeah, I'm going to say late 80s. <laughs> let me, hold on. Let me look this yeah, up. Yeah, this is like high school-ish for me. So was, we're talking about late 80s, early 90s. And Turner Gill actually went on to be a coach. Uh, you know, and we always see players going on to be coaches. Uh, I texted you uh, last week, I think it was, and said, did you know that Mark Colombo is the offensive line coach for the Giants? I uh, had Mark no Colombo, idea. Yeah, a former uh, Chicago draft pick who ended up playing in, in Dallas for a long time. Yes, Mark Colombo, that Mark Colombo, the offensive tackle. Wait is a now minute. The... Turner Gill's the head coach at Liberty? It's true. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. Not to get sidetracked, because uh, Liberty has a quarterback that's coming out in the draft this year, Malik Willis. Who's got a gun. <laughs> oh, my God. So he's a transfer from Auburn. I can't remember. Right. I think it was just because he couldn't beat out Bo Nix, if I remember correctly. And, like, Willis is – like, if you watch Willis play this year and you watch Bo Nix play this year, like, Willis is a better quarterback. Uh, but – so he sat out a year, I believe, and now he's playing at Liberty. He's a Heisman contender. He can run, cannon for an arm. Uh, we're going to be talking about him in the draft. He'll probably end up going to the Senior Bowl, I'm assuming, because uh, uh, Jim 
loves to recruit guys like that, especially, you know, he's got a soft spot for Liberty too. So we're probably going to see him at the Senior Bowl uh, when we go down there in a few months. Uh, but yeah, not to get too sidetracked with Turner Gill, but Liberty quarterback, Malik Willis, keep an eye on him. Yeah, Turner Gill, great, great quarterback in his own right, gone on to be a very successful coach. Um, so, and again, that wasn't even the best thing. Russell Wilson ripping off a 33-yard <laughs> gain on basically his best Daniel Jones impression, except he didn't fall down at the end. Um, still wasn't the best thing in this game. So with four minutes left in the half, Seattle was averaging, and they showed this graphic, and I had to rewind it. Seattle was averaging 8.4 yards a play, and Arizona was averaging 4.8 yards a play. And it was a 13-7 to ball game. Yep. Four minutes left in the first half. This is what we call foreshadowing, kids. <laughs> Things were about to go south, says the narrator, or north or whichever way. Things were about to explode. So Carlos Hyde scores on a long sweeper on the left edge. Bingo. Hawks end up with the points. Arizona drives right back, and Murray hits Christian Kirk, second week in a row, the Cardinals' second score. Okay, so now within four minutes, all of a sudden, not a 13-7 game. Both both teams have scored a touchdown. Seattle throws a bomb to Lockett for an answer. <laughs> Insanity, right? They have like one minute left, not even. And they're like, this is just two prize fighters standing in the middle of the ring with their guard down going, yeah, hit me in the face. Okay, fine, I'll hit you in the face. <laughs> no, you hit me in the face. And they're just banging back and forth. And then the cards aren't done. They tack on a field goal with no time left to kill the half. All of that happened in four minutes of game time. So Hyde scores, Arizona goes to, you know, Murray hits Kirk, Seattle goes right back to Lockett for a touchdown, and then the Cards get a field goal on the last four minutes of the half after all the stuff we talked about already. This is one half of football, folks, and it's probably one of the more entertaining halves of the season. Easily. 100%. It was like, uh, you ever seen those like professional slap competitions where you got two like 350 pound dudes just sitting there yep. and just like, go ahead, go ahead, knock me out. I dare you. Like it was yeah. that, it was that in football form. I, I, and that was again, first, first two quarters, you know, then quarter three, uh, that, um, the, the keeper where Murray scored, uh, yeah. where he broke like, what, like three tackles, something like that. He and, just, somebody said he makes the sound that Scoot makes when you say it when he runs. You know, it's like Scoot, 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 because he just he <laughs> he literally does. He scoots like no other quarterback. Like he just he's a jitterbug, uh, unparalleled. Like Lamar is more of a strider, right? He's faster and look, he can juke guys, no doubt. Lamar Jackson, very talented runner of the football, but Kyler, he's he just different. <laughs> he nobody he... runs like him right now. He changes directions. I mean, again, you know, we know he's got straight line speed and everything like that, but his his change of direction where he doesn't really look like he's trying to, but it, it's almost like he moves at lightning speed while looking like he's running at normal speed. And it just, it throws guys off because his legs just move so quickly. Uh, you know, it's, it's I, I can't even describe you know the, what, the freaking road runner. You know what he reminds runner. me of? When he runs the football, specifically when he gets into that scramble mode, and he's like, all right, that's it. I'm running. Like, I'm not looking to throw the ball anymore. This is a dedicated, like, I got to juke, guys. He reminds me of that guy who was always a little guy, and Kyler's a shorter dude. 
the little guy when you were small and you were playing like flag tag. Anybody ever? Oh, play you flag couldn't tag? touch him, right? Yeah. And it's that one little guy that always spins and jukes and darts, and you just you can never. He's always the last guy in flag tag, right? And like Kyler is that guy, but he's in the NFL with the best athletes in the world, and he's still doing that to him. It's just it's like a it's like a you dip a cat in butter and say go get it. It's yeah, it, uh, it's just amazing. So, but that's the only score of the third quarter. So we have this huge burst right at the end of the second quarter, right before the half, and then the only score in the third quarter is Murray on this ridiculous little jitterbug keeper where he just deeks like three guys and goes into the end zone. So we start the fourth quarter of this sort of auspicious game. Arizona's clawed its way back in. Russ throws a rough pick to Peterson to start the fourth. Like, yeah, I don't really a, know what that was about. A typical throw for Wilson. A doesn't make that bad decision, just kind of chucks it up there, and it doesn't really look like it is ever going to the receiver. Um, and then Murray, quote unquote, answers with a pick to Quandre Diggs um, almost immediately, and it was like, wait, guys, you're you're on a really good, interesting compelling trajectory here and then you both went and traded terribly lousy picks to start the fourth i i will say by the way on the on the peterson pick when i watched it all 22 the only explanation i could sort of understand was it kind of looked like russ thought dk was going to keep running and then that's DK right. stopped like dk stopped because yeah. he thought he was going to hit back shoulder and then yeah like it might have been a miscommunication but if it i that was that's the only, the only thing close could, because it was about yeah. three yards three yards off right three yards long and easy pick for patrick peterson um but then wilson marches down we kind of get back on track throws a ridiculous looping td to lock it in the back of the end zone not the corner just the back about two-thirds of the way across and you can watch that throw 10 times in a row and think he's not going to be able to make it 10 times in a row. Yeah, but he, but it's Wilson but and Lockett, he did. so he definitely yeah, would make it 10 times in a row. Yeah, we, we, we talked about that connection to, to start this game recap. But then Murray keeps the drive alive with a really nice scramble from the diamond formation, which is really, that's just a cliff staple, um, and then hits Kirk for another score. So Christian Kirk, uh, you know, didn't start off so hot, definitely didn't contribute last year as much as people thought he might. Um, I was very high on him um, coming out of AM. Uh, last couple of weeks, he has really started to make his mark. So, his second score of this particular game, then Arizona gets in field goal range on a really nice Chase Edmonds run. We can talk about Chase Edmonds a bit because he is. Uh, I think he's the guy that's going to get touches down the stretch for this team. Uh, yeah. He's, he is the guy that's been producing. He's outperforming Drake by far in terms of like by far ta- tackle breaking rates, uh, in, just in terms of juice. Like when you when you watch Drake in terms of how he runs now, which I don't really know how this happened because Drake looked like he had juice last year, and then this year, I don't know where it went. But Edmonds, yeah, it looks like Edmonds he has, has got it. Yeah, yeah, Edmonds has got it. I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the year we see Edmonds and uh, and Eno kind of. Oh, taking I was thinking about carries. Eno today because the Bears could use really use a backup backup running back, and I was like, man, if you could, I want them to keep their draft picks, but if they could pry Eno away from Arizona, I'd be all over it. But I think um, I don't think Cliff has given up Eno for anything. No, I don't. I think he knows what he has, which is which is fine. But Arizona gets the field goal, and they force ot 
Edmonds rips off another big run in in overtime, and the Hawks stall. The cards come back. It looks like the end of the game. They miss the field goal. Just to give everybody in Seattle like extra cardiac issues, they miss the field goals. So Russ is driving, and a guy we spent a lot of time talking about when we launched Bootleg, in fact, one of the first video segments we ever filmed, was sitting at the table in your dining room talking about what what should teams do with Isaiah Simmons, right? Isaiah mm-hmm. Simmons, the uber-talented defender, like, is he a safety? Is he a linebacker? Is he a, some kind of crazy hybrid edge rusher because he's so athletic? Like, what are you going to do with Isaiah Simmons? And what we ended up on was, uh, my take at least, and I think we agreed on this at the time, was Isaiah Simmons should be like a rangy middle linebacker who you expect to play uh, from about five yards off the line of scrimmage and out to either sideline because he's got that kind of range. We want to put him close to the ball so he makes as many plays as possible because he has that kind of talent. And I just wanted to bring up that Isaiah Simmons makes the pick on Russell Wilson to eventually quote unquote end the game that the, the Cardinals had to go a little bit. Where was Simmons playing when he got that pick? Mike linebacker lined up as a blitzer. Mike linebacker dropped out and got him and got him easy, right? Reached up. And yeah. That, that was a very straight pick. They dropped in almost a, a, a zone, uh, you know, sort of a middle zone. If you're talking about linebacker, they all dropped on a sort of uh, an angled drop, same distance he throws it he tries to throw it over Simmons Simmons too fast too tall gets him runs it back a little bit they run a couple of plays and Arizona gets another chance to win it all they kick the field goal but I gotta say it touches the upright way through just it, it to be kissed that, it for sure <laughs> just to be that last little bit of this is the best game of the year and I'm gonna show you why like the game winning field goal in OT goes off the upright because nothing could be straight or easy in this game. And even more heartbreaking for Seattle, right before the Simmons pick, they popped DK for a game winning touchdown on a jailbreak screen and it got called back on a hold. You know, when, when they tell, when they tell you, like, if you're a receiver, just cut a just cut block. Cause if you, if you get caught tugging, on a DB, when literally, especially with a guy like DK who runs four three, he's got to get in the way. Yep. Just throw a cut block. You won't get you won't get called for a hold. You know, it, it's just it, mental mistakes. Mental mistakes cost them the game. They had the win right there. Like it, it would not have made a difference. DK would have got free, and he would have scored if you just threw a cut block and got in the way, and then got called back. You get the interception. You lose the game. You know. Yeah, it, we talk about a game of inches right and yeah so yeah. many inches in this game right just all over the place one of the game of the year candidates in the early going for sure will be there at the end of the year i can't imagine a, a tighter game or a more back and forth game a game with more really memorable big plays um just a a fantastically entertaining football game went back and watched the whole thing uh on game pass and was not disappointed um just a tremendous football game so with that we're gonna move on to this week's bootleg shot of the week nominees so we can get ourselves out of here and get some sleep hopefully 
Um, but I'm going to lead it off with Cole Holcomb, and you texted me about this one. Cole oh, Holcomb, man. linebacker for Washington, obliterates Zeke. They were playing Dallas, and then gets a sack. And then on top of that, later on, he got a pick off a tip from him on on the goal line. Zeke is going to see Cole Holcomb in his dreams, but the uh, the bootleg shot of the week nominee is him racking Zeke uh, on the pass block. And look, Zeke is uh, one of the highest graded pass blockers I have ever scouted coming out of college. He was the best guy in that class, bar none, at the running back position. He was, I had a pro-ready tag on him for pass blocking, and Cole Holcomb detonated him. Took his soul. It was great. Uh, again, it's it's rare to see Zeke get run over like that, but damn. So I'll I'll throw the clip down there when I'm you know down in the description below, or I'll pin a comment. You guys can vote uh, as usual for shot of the week. I'll I'll try to include a, a clip of that Holcomb sack. Cause man, it was it was brutal for Zeke. Uh, second nominee, another another sack. Uh, this one from Brian Burns, who's just been all over the place this season, uh, or all over, I should say, quarterbacks this season. Been one of the better pass rushers in the entire league. Uh, got a great strip sack of uh, Drew Brees last week. And when you watch him, he's one of those guys who who lines up really, really close to the line of scrimmage, damn near offsides. TJ Watts, another one. There was a kind of a statistical analysis done in terms of like who has the best jump in the NFL. And part of the reason why TJ Watt, uh, statistically by Next Gen Stats, was determined to have the the best or the quickest jump of any pass rushers because he lines up closer to the line of scrimmage than anybody else. Brian Burns took a page out of his book, put his hands damn near on the line, got a great jump, dipped around the left tackle, uh, and just crushed Drew from behind got a great strip sack in that game so brian burns second nominee for the bootleg shot of the week yeah that was a classic what they call down up down sack so the first move is down dip the shoulder make sure your body doesn't get contacted by the hands of the offensive lineman then up get those hands up in case the quarterback's passing and then bring them down hard and ends up uh strip sacking drew Brees. so really brian burns had a really nice shot on teddy tonight as well um he's having a good season i am incredibly proud and honored to bring our first offensive player for a nomination for bootleg shot of the week and this is james robinson running back for jacksonville guy we've talked about a lot on the podcast and he leveled flat out trucked Nasir Adderley, the safety for the Chargers. Oh, man. Uh, this is 348 left in quarter two of that game, uh, Jacksonville versus the Chargers, and James Robinson runs him the hell over. Don't drop your heads, kids, because <laughs> it's, it's not going to give you good results. Like, he just he stopped his feet and he dropped his head, and it's like that's basically just walking up to a semi-truck going 60 and saying, would you stop, please, sir? No, not going to happen. And like, James Robinson said, nah, man, I ain't stopping. <laughs> Wham! He also had a very good stiff arm later in the game, but we chose the flat leveling of Adderley for the bootleg shot of the week. Yeah, it was, it was a great one. Uh, fourth nominee goes to, I guess we could just call it the entire San Francisco special teams unit, because that seems to be how many people made the hit to force the fumble on the kick return against the Patriots uh, and kind of steal a possession. Technically credited to Jonathan Cyprian, but there was like three guys there, um, along with Akella Witherspoon, just absolutely leveling the returner and forcing the fumble there. Uh, honestly, the the Niners jumped all over the Patriots in pretty much every aspect of the game. Special teams 
was one of them. And if you can steal a possession on special teams, your win rate, I'm pretty sure, is like 87%, if I remember correctly, in terms of uh, special teams turnovers to to win rate. So, uh, yeah, hell of a job by them. Yeah, it ends up being deep in the other team's territory, and you get a short field, your chances to score are extremely high. Um, yeah, all good stuff there, but a great team effort. There are a lot of really good team efforts this week uh, that we didn't nominate, but like the Washington defensive line had a bunch of sacks that were, you know, three guys hitting them at the same time, um, and they weren't the only ones. There was a bunch of defensive lines that were working that, that well in tandem this week. Uh, another one that we texted about when it happened, Devin White, Tampa Bay, blasts Derek Carr diving for the marker on fourth and one late in the fourth quarter. Devin White was in coverage. He was yards away. Car takes like off. White 20 yards him. away. <laughs> White sees him, lowers his head, goes on a line, and doesn't pull up because he knows Carr is going to dive for the marker and try and make the first down. Look, Carr's a competitive player. White flattens him on the sideline, absolutely bends his trajectory behind the marker. Uh, great recognition, incredible closing speed, and uh, just a snap hit on the sideline. I can name on one hand the number of linebackers that that can be 20 yards away from Derek Carr and then get to the sideline that quickly. Uh, And and Devin White's one of them. He's legit. I mean, legit 4-4 speed for a linebacker. I mean, his, his closing speed is just unreal. And he's a little bit on the shorter side. He's kind of got like a sawed-off build, but his legs just move so damn fast. It's almost like Kyler, you know, where it, it looks like the freaking Roadrunner going down the going down the road. Um, man, he's fast. And again, great hit on Carr, just driving through his body, uh, getting that stop there on fourth and one. The game was pretty well in hand at that point, but that really slammed the door shut on the Raiders and basically ensured the Bucks were going to get a win. Uh, and then our final nominee, nominee number six, Mario Edwards Jr. Uh, tattooing Robert Woods in the backfield, who was getting the handoff on a sweep. Kind of looked like a, I think it was like a counter sweep off like pre-snap motion with like a fake toss the other side. I have no idea what the Rams call that play. I'll probably have to dig through my McVay playbook, but uh, I think just based on alignment, like if you look at it on the All-22, um, Woods was lined up like a yard and a half off the line of scrimmage. And I think Edwards knew like, hey, he's going to go in motion. So either it's going to be an outside zone run the other way, and I'm going to penetrate and get the tackle on the running back, or it's going to be an end around, and I'm going to penetrate and just absolutely obliterate Robert Woods. And he guessed correctly, and he just slipped the block and just crushed him. Yeah, he turns his body sideways, gets his hand up. It's almost like an extended high swim move, but it's so quick through the first step and then he brings his mass down immediately and woods is just right in front of him and he hits him in the chest literally decletes him knocks him off his feet well into the backfield um at the time it was one of those ooh plays when you're watching it on tape because not a lot of things going right for the bears at that point but um wow yeah got there quick and brought all the force to just lever Robert Woods, one of our favorites, a tremendously good football player who makes plays every week, made plays this week, and just got on the unlucky side of Mario Edwards guessing correctly and making a really good play to slip the block and bring the heat um, for a bootleg shot of the week. So we got six nominees, Cole Holcomb, Brian Burns, James Robinson, San Francisco Special Teams, Devin White, or Mario Edwards Jr.? 
Probably the best crop of nominees we've had so far, I think, because we had a lot of hits to choose from. There are a lot of good hits this week. Sometimes we kind of look through, and, and there's there's good hits, but you sort of have to have that ooh quality when you see one, <laughs> and it's got to be legal. Uh, there was a hit in the game tonight, which we will absolutely not be nominating because it was dirty as hell, and we're really not into it. Um, but there were a lot of big clean hits in week seven and uh you know james robinson was just kind of the capper on that um again getting that kind of uh impact from an offensive player was uh was a welcome sight we love james robinson we love nasir adderley too but uh boy did he get the better of him so that's fun stuff uh i know you said you got a film room coming out next week yeah i had a fun little exchange with tyron matthew on twitter uh, and so I'm going to be settling a beef between him and PFF, or at least attempting to uh, settle a beef between Tyron Matthew and Pro Football Focus on how many catches he's actually given up this year, because he seems to disagree with PFF's number that he's given up 16 catches. So I'm going to investigate and see, uh, is Tyron correct? Is PFF correct? Is the answer somewhere in between? Do stats even matter? Uh, should be an interesting episode. This is going to be the film room version of Unsolved Mysteries. I love it. It's going to be yes. awesome. Yes. Um, I am going straight from this to finishing editing Bears Over Beers, uh, which my partner Jeff Burkus and I went pretty long on last night. Uh, we were uh, certainly bemoaning the loss to the Rams, but we limited that and really talked about um, what the Bears might be able to do inside of this season and what they'd have to do after the season to kind of right the ship. Um, and we were drinking bourbon. It was bears over bourbon because the bears got their ass kicked and we needed something stronger. So, uh, we might've gotten a little bit loose towards the end, but that should be coming out tomorrow morning. Uh, fingers crossed that I can stay awake and get all that editing done. But, uh, yeah, until then an incredibly entertaining week of football in week seven, lots more good matchups. We talked about just a few of them and there are many more coming up in week eight. So until then, Uh, Just keep watching, listen up, and we will talk to you soon. Later. Later.